<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to A Few Things, where we give our greatest discoveries the podcast they deserve. I'm Claire Mazur. And I'm Erica Cerullo. This show is brought to you by Of A Kind. Find out more and sign up for our newsletter, ofakind.com. Um, what's happening with you? Um, something big's happening. We're yeah. going to give the people what they want slash really don't want. Hard to know, <laughs> depending on the person. You know, I will say this. Since we stopped doing Alex, Alex updates, updates. Yeah. We have gotten several emails and in-person queries, and, and I wouldn't even call them queries, just complaints. Why did you stop doing Alex updates? Like, What's I'm happening disappointed. with Alex? Nobody was, has, why would you ever do it? Nobody no. has written okay. in to say, thank, thank you, you so much for stopping That's the Alex great updates. Point. Do you think people are like, some some people like to just hate listen to them? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Like, <laughs> it's, it's like implied. you follow all the... All the influencers that we follow on me. Instagram. Yeah. They get a hate buzz. Yeah. I get it. Have we I hate you, watch a lot of things. Have we told you about influencers? No. What is that? They're like people that you follow on social media uh-huh. who you actually, who when they do something, you're like, no, you're ruining that thing for me. Like that right. thing was great until you started doing it. And now it. you do yep. it. Influencers. So, yeah. Influencers. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. I've never heard it before. Yeah, well, it's we really a problem it. when it's like something just like super common. Like, oh, now you live in Brooklyn, I'm moving. Or like, like wearing oh. a Patagonia fleece. And you're like, they didn't do any, that company did nothing wrong. They don't yeah. deserve this treatment. Although yeah. I do hate Patagonian fleeces. <gasps> what is there to hate? That is such an unassailable company. You know what it is? Chris Christie ruined it for me. Chris Christie was yeah. wearing Patagonia? Yeah, the whole time during the hurricane. It feels so off brand for him. The whole thing during time during the Hurricane Sandy relief. He was wearing a Patagonian fleece, and I'm just like, Are that's you, I thought sure it was a different that? brand. I think it was Patagonian. I, 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 I feel like I would have dragging noticed. their name through uh-huh. the mud. I feel mud. like somebody would have written a piece about it. I don't think it's true. All right, Alex, how do you feel about tortoise shell earrings? Oh yeah, we're gonna talk about that. Tortoise first. shell yeah. earrings. Yeah. So like, what do you mean by that? You know what tortoise shell is? Yeah. So I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of cool women in New York have started wearing these big uh-huh. hoops, or sometimes even just discs. That are made of not actual tortoise shell, right. but like an ass, like, like a 
it looks almost like a plastic or a lucite with right. the tortoise shell pattern in Motif. it. It is like the cool girl thing happening. Right You'll now. see okay. it everywhere now that we said it. I probably yeah. won't see it anywhere. You've probably been those on girls Tinder are way dates. out of my league. No, you've probably <laughs> so, been on Tinder dates with some tortoise uh -huh. shell earrings. If I had to guess. No, I have not. <laughs> those girls go for guys that are much higher than I am. Well, I think um, you're really selling them uh -huh. for us, which I appreciate yeah. because we okay. have a whole slew of them on the site. We just brought them on. It's actually a beautiful. If you go to the machete brand page on our site. It's just this beautiful sea of tortoise shell geometric shapes. Oh my gosh, very, very pretty. Mostly hoops. So you're getting on the tortoise shell bandwagon. We, no, we've been, we've been on it for on a while. It. Oh, you've been but, on it. So you but were we just like went early... deep. We just bought a lot of stock in it. Okay. Yes. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're investing <laughs> so heavily. So you're like an early yeah. influencer. With we're the... Yeah, we're investing yeah. heavily in this because we believe in it. Yeah. They're really lightweight. They look good. They're very they're lightweight. Like, okay. They're not crazy They're the most lightweight statement earrings that I own, for sure. Um, and right now you can get 10% off any of them, including the non-tortoise shell ones, because yeah. we have two metallic ones from a machete silver and there. like a brass, brassy yeah. colored. 10% um, off all of them with the code a few things. And they're already very affordable, if you ask me. So it's a good deal. Nice. I bet even if you asked Alex. Yeah. Um, hey, Alex. <laughs> yes. Um, so what's been, been a while. happening? Yeah, a lot's happened. First of all, I think we told the people about your ulcer, but I think they want your perspective. <laughs> We'd like the ulcer update. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? I'm just going to gloss over this quickly because <laughs> we'll I don't want to we'll revisit see. it. We'll see. Because I'm so sick and tired of hearing myself talk about my ulcer. Really? You know, it's such yeah, a you I sound thing like to a have. cranky grandpa. It's the most and I'm just on tired brand thing. Oh my it's the most on brand medical condition. So on brand. Yeah. A really painful hangnail would also be on. <laughs> it's true yeah it's like so yeah. cat skills it's just so like old and yeah, yeah it's just uh what you know caused what caused it what caused it you know a lot of people say it's stress mm -hmm. and i just want to debunk that myth oh, because interesting. it is stress and uh, not that i'm not stressed all the time and not that i don't, don't have perpetual sure. anxiety yeah. sure. running through every vein yeah. at all times but like I think it had more to do with the fact that I think there was a couple of nights where I drank heavily and mm -hmm. I think that's what did it. And then it was a combination of that and taking Advil. I started taking Advil. Mm. And People I started... do not realize that Advil and Tylenol are not to be messed with. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Like they you don't tell you die. that. You what? can get poisoning from Why Tylenol. were you taking so much Advil? I don't know. I was getting like these headaches, which probably were from anxiety. Or the drinking. Or, or being so the drinking. I would yeah. say indirectly yeah. anxiety did cause the ulcer. Right. But it had to go through a couple of other steps. Yeah. Channels, in I channels, think. exactly. Yeah. Look at you banging on the table. You always get upset with me about know, banging on the I know. table. Someone actually mentioned it the other day. Well, you don't like the things it, that you do yourself. About <laughs> yeah, that's people. why yeah. you get so nasty. Oh, I just, my, my, all of my yeah. life is just projections. So, <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. All right, uh -huh. so the ulcer is it under control. Yep. Anyway, let's. Uh, uh, how's let's your move health on. otherwise? Let's move on. How's my health otherwise? You know what? Not great today. Yeah. What's wrong? Uh, you wouldn't you know, let us give you a I think a I'm, hug I've just been I've been very sleep deprived lately. Mm, I don't know why. why. I don't know. It's just a combination of anxiety, stress. I've been going on a lot of dates, so I've been having a lot oh, of late nights. Here we go. Burying the lead. Yeah, burying the lead. Yeah, as yeah, I yeah. Would and um, yeah, I don't know. I'm just like I'm in this habit now where if I'm up, I'm up. Like mm -hmm. I can't go back to sleep. I'm tossing mm -hmm. and turning. Okay. I try to put on a little. Eckhart Tolle to get me back to sleep, <laughs> okay. which is, uh, you uh -huh. know, Art of Zen and all yep, that stuff, yeah, but that sure. doesn't work. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, no, I just like wrestle and wrestle and eventually I just give up in despair and <laughs> and I just fold in the towel and that's it. And I'm up. And so I've been sleep deprived and I think my immunity system has been shot and now I just feel awful. Yeah. I just feel very soupy today. And, I'm sorry to hear soupy. that. You know? um, mm -hmm. Hey, tell us about these dates. Um, okay. So I'll 
get into one. Uh, there's yeah. been several, and um, same person, different person. It's just been a succession of you know bad to worse, I would <laughs> say. Yeah. But uh, there and- was one that was interesting because there's one that went really well, right? Okay. Yeah. And so we went on a second date, and then we went on a third date. Wow. And the third date, I you know I'll leave out all the details, yeah. but I went back to her place. Wow. And um, she had like a red hat on like um above her um, oh my god her no. Trump. no 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 and so i just go i make a joke i'm like oh is that is i'm like you know i wouldn't be wearing red hats nowadays yeah. you know with trump and everything yeah. and you know make america great and she goes oh no i have one of those and i go oh, all right very funny i'm like yeah. oh we have a comedian in the house yeah. and she's like no 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 seriously i have one and i'm like wait so and so we got into a whole thing and uh you know i was just like I'm sorry, like, I can't do this. This is a deal breaker for me. So this <laughs> happened. You also, and again, we don't have to get into details, yeah. but you also went out on a date with someone who turned out to be in, like, deep legal trouble, like maybe on a federal level. Yeah, I, um, I don't think so I'm you've comfortable been, talking about that's that. Okay, that's okay. That's all yeah. we have to say about it. I'm just trying yeah. to set the stage for how your dating life is going since you haven't let us And those are both people involved. that you went on, like, three dates with. <laughs> Correct. <Yeah. laughs> So, you know, I guess I'm not a great initial judge of character. When do you I, get yeah, good? Yeah, I was going to say, I don't know about initial, I, because if, when do you if get you're good? figuring... When do I get good? I guess <laughs> yeah. around the third date yeah. is when all of these like things bubble yeah. to the surface. Yeah, okay. You know? Right. Yeah, okay. all right. Yeah, so... Um, hey, you gotta... took some other notes to prep for this. Yeah. Well, we have some, too, also. We have a okay. couple of items okay. on our agenda, but, but why I'm, don't you go I'm next? I'm interested in yeah. his, because his first one, is that uni that I see uni. at the top? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I was just going to make a stupid, like, uh, joke no, slash observation. Yeah, you've got that, some jokes I'm, written. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just like, I'm like the uni of your podcast. <laughs> it's like, you know, a lot of people will love me. I'm an acquired taste, yeah. or I could leave a bad taste in your mouth. A hundred percent. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So I just wanted to strike that power. I also learned recently... From someone that I didn't know that uni was like a frequent cause of severe food poisoning. Like it's like it has to be fresh Makes and sense. right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god, that might have been how I got and my actually, ulcer. This is a good segue <laughs> to my next agenda item, uh-huh. which is that I heard that story from someone who is the producer of HQ Trivia. Mm. Um, and the star of HQ Trivia is a good friend of yours. Yes, he's. I work with him actually. We just I produced one of his live shows this Tuesday, and we had Paul Rudd and David Cross on I the love show. Love Paul Rudd. And Paul Rudd was everything you'd want to expect out of him, oh, and more. And I'm so glad to hear that because most, most people genuine, are not. Most charming guy you could possibly you. imagine. So down to earth. I do really. There's a, just no affectation about him at all. He is who he is. You know, how he comes across on the screen is how he is in person. What was the show called? Uh, um, Something about you. Uh, the, the show? His, what sh- oh, Paul Rudd. I was Party thinking down? Of, no, no, no. Oh. I was thinking <laughs> for some reason, Paul, the other like old, was on the sitcom with Helen Paul Hunt. Reiser? Yeah. What was Mad his about sitcom? You? Yeah, I love that Mad was About such You. such a good show. Oh, I love Mad Paul About Rudd, You. Paul Rudd, Claire. I know, but Paul, but Paul, Paul Reiser, Reiser the other great. Paul R. <laughs> the yeah. other like great down to earth Paul yeah. R. And yeah. my my mind went straight there, and you, I was like, I do love. That I think guy. an ulcer is mandatory to watch that show. <laughs> it's a great it's, show. It's a it was great, such it's a, a good show. Why show. hasn't it been served up on Rebooted. Netflix or something? Oh no, no, it's on, they they have it on Stars now. Oh, you can wow. get it on Stars on Demand. Yeah, I'm paying fifteen dollars extra to watch it. Mad about you. Well known fact about me. Hey, ladies. Yeah, sorry. Okay, so Paul Rudd, mm-hmm. I know who that yeah. one is too. Clueless. Clueless. <laughs> Thank you, Grandma Mazer. Clueless. Yes, clueless. Uh, Four-year-old virgin. Yeah, no, up. I've seen that. But Clueless you, is man. his best work. 
Okay, no, he's I had so much best work. I think, he's I think had so I much best. Agree yeah. to disagree on that one. What would you say is Paul Rudd's best work? You know, I personally, well, there's so many good ones. Like Wanderlust is good, is very underrated. And I great. liked that thing. Um, I love him in uh, I Love You, Man. Have you ever seen yeah, I Love I, You, Man? I did like I that, that one. He, he's yeah. so hysterical. I that was That's a good like one. one of his funniest performances, yeah. I think. Um, there's so many. I mean, you know, he was in a lot of like sketches, like with Stella guys, Wayne Days. Uh, now you're getting too I'm getting too baseball. comedy nerdy Erica yeah. what's your favorite Paul Tim Rudd performance well I was just thinking this is not a performance Claire but I was thinking about how I, I last time or one of the last times I was in LA um, he was in the convert driving the convertible in front of me for like wow. a mile and a half and it felt like a very good very specific LA, LA celebrity experience. sighting yeah. of being like yeah, yeah that's definitely Paul Rudd is he married yes uh, yes, yes. Uh, yes yeah. because so his Hollywood sweetheart wife um, used has a couple of kind items. Wow, that's right. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I mean, I knew who he was, but <laughs> now I know who his wife is. He's yeah. also strikingly handsome. Yeah. He's very handsome. He's a good-looking yeah. guy. He's very, very yeah. handsome. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Um, okay. Do you want to share more about that? How HQ trivia has impacted your life? Yeah, I mean, it just made me a lot busier because I work with Scott, and mm -hmm. you know, naturally everything is elevated for Scott. He's busier, so that means I'm busier. So you're like his right hand man. I'm his gopher, essentially. Okay, gopher. you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. he hasn't been a good wingman for you, apparently. Ah, uh, you know what? It's like I, I want to keep that separate in our relationship. <laughs> okay, you know what I mean. It just seems like he's become something of a a an oddball heartthrob. Oh my so god, it seems he's like, like you the should poster be boy for J Swipe, basically. Wow. Okay. You know? He basically he, has become is that. Is he on? It, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, like it, you mean J Swipe as a concept more than an as a concept? Thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a concept. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um. All right. What well, else is on hey, your you agenda? you have something. What's not cutting it? Is that what that Oh, says? no, just like on, I was just saying on dates, I'm just not cutting <laughs> it. You're not cutting it. Okay. Yeah. Wait, I just would like to. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, we could read yeah. Uni. <laughs> Trump girl. Yeah. Not cutting it. Yeah. Sleep deprived. Sick. It sounds like an Alex update to me. <laughs> <laughs> Feels yeah. right. That's uh, yeah. just the Feels standard roll call. right. Yeah. yeah. Um, thanks for coming on. You did yeah. a great job. Thank you. And could I just say one thing? Of course. Um, I you can will say, say as many things as yeah, you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I, I'll, I'll just say this. And uh, I love having you here. <laughs> it's it's very enjoyable. And uh, you're great. You're funny. You're entertaining. You're light. <laughs> You're, uh, what's we're going to get hard feedback, you're, right? You're, 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 you're breezy. You're very yeah. breezy. And, oh uh, I'll shut up because I'm. Thanks, yeah. Alex. Um, I that think that was that's like the nicest wedding yeah. toast yeah. we've ever gotten. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I guess the important question that people are want to, will want to know yeah. are, are you reopen for the of a kind matchmaking service? Sure. Not that you were ever really open for it because as much as we would try to uh, make it happen for you, you just weren't picking up the ball yeah no and you know and at this point i'm numb to rejection so yeah why okay, not so okay. if you're interested yeah. in dating alex uh -huh. mm -hmm. email a few things at ofakind.com but hopefully be a registered. <laughs> that was a real ringing endorsement for me i'm numb to rejection <laughs> oh shut up <laughs> let's bring on our okay. next guest all right <laughs> Hi, 
So we are here with Ruman Alam, who is the special projects editor at New York Times Book. Fancy, fancy. <laughs> and writer of several uh, short stories and the author of two novels, Rich and Pretty, which is amazing, and That Kind of Mother, which just came out on May 8th. Ruman, hey. Hey, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for being oh, here. What a pleasure. My um, pleasure. And congratulations. Oh, my Thank God. You. This book Thank is getting you. so much buzz. It's, uh, you know... It's a. Uh, I'm very lucky. Yeah. There are a lot no. of books. There are, well, there are a lot of. No. There are a lot of worthy books that never yeah. get the that's attention true. Yeah, that's that true. they deserve. That's true. And so I feel like I have to acknowledge <laughs> that's that. That's very like, yeah. I'm okay. lucky when mm-hmm. a book finds a readership, or when there are people like you guys who have a platform who want to talk about <laughs> books and share that with their audience. You know. I mean, sure, but you, you know, you're writing really amazing books, well, thank so there's you. also yeah. that. I mean, thing. I can't yeah. say that, Erica. Yeah. <laughs> you can say that. <laughs> I also feel really proud of myself because I feel like I was a fan of yours way before you had any books, and then your first book came out, and I was like, well, <laughs> this is just phenomenal. And I knew I had good taste. It is true that we, have, you and I, have been in the same orbit for many years, and yeah. in fact, this is the first time we've met face to face. But I feel that I've known you, and same. you know, Instagram kind of breeds a particular familiarity. Uh, 100%. And, <laughs> yeah. But um, we. All Almost worked together. Yeah, a couple of times. Yeah, totally. And you were my editor years ago on a piece. Yeah, and vice and versa. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. So it's funny how things change. Like yeah. our yeah. careers are so different now than 100%. when you and I first met. Yeah. 100%. So let's let's hear what you used to be in magazines. I used to be in magazines. You were Kim Francis' first assistant. That's at Lucky. right. I was. Oh, I amazing. <laughs> iconic. Iconic. Job. Iconic. Job. Icon. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. You know, and uh, one of the things that's sad about what's happened to the editorial business is that that used to be a really great way to begin your career mm-hmm. yeah. to work mm-hmm. alongside someone who was really powerful and and smart and just sort of learned by osmosis and by proximity to power mm-hmm. and it doesn't totally work that way any longer yeah. mm-hmm. and um, I am really glad that I had that early education in magazines and mm-hmm. magazine publishing and that whole business as you both know mm-hmm. well has really contracted and yeah. it's very different and so I left magazines right around the time my first son came home, which was about eight years ago. And I started working in advertising where you can make a lot of money. <laughs> you figured <laughs> out. Yeah. 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 And uh, particularly at that moment when you were coming from publishing, you know, there was a lot of, that was that had a lot of appeal for um, ad agencies and branding agencies. Mm-hmm. It was like cool. It was like, very cool. Yeah. And you yeah. understood something that they were trying to crack. Right. And I had written a lot for Domino Magazine, mm-hmm. RIP, but a sort of back now in a different form. But yeah. <laughs> in, in its original iteration at Condé Nast, I had been a writer with them. And uh, I that was a great launching pad to go and have this great career in advertising. And I did that for quite a few years. And... Um, my friend Emma Straub, who's also yeah. a novelist, um, had, and a former podcast guest. Oh well, so yes. it all comes full circle. <laughs> yes. uh, she had said to me one day, she had come over, I think, for a play date with our with our kids, our two older kids, and she had said to me, you know, no one's waiting for you to write a book, hmm. which is true. And really, no one is waiting for you. There's no invitation process. You Erica not was. Get a letter. It well, sounds I, like Erica not. actually was. It must have gotten lost in the mail. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if you if there's something that you want to do, you just kind of have to do yeah. it. And mm-hmm. so I am very lucky because I had gone back to working in publishing. I was working at New York Magazine where mm-hmm. I was the editor on their interior design issues, which was an amazing, amazing yeah, job. Yeah, totally. Um, and... I had a hiatus of about 14 weeks. And so I told my husband, look, I'm going to write a book. 
But you cannot ask me any questions about it, and you cannot ask me to do anything, and you cannot ask me to make any money. So for these 14 weeks, I'm not going to make any what money. What an ass. Yeah. <laughs> what a husband. <laughs> I'm very lucky. And uh, he was very accommodating. And for 14 weeks, I wrote uh, what became a draft of that first book, Rich and Pretty. Um, I wrote at night. It mm. was absolutely awful. My, my younger son at the time was quite small. I think he was 18 months, mm -hmm. maybe two. And um, so I would work from 7 p.m. until two or three in the morning. And, then and you were like, taking care of him during the day. Right. So I would get up at six okay. with the kids, get them. I would get him to daycare. He was in a daycare and my older son was in kindergarten at the time. Mm -hmm. And then I would go home and sleep until noon. And then I would get up and clean the house and do the laundry and make dinner. Yeah. And then at seven o'clock, I would kiss the boys goodnight and I would go back to work. So when you, you really told your husband you. that he couldn't ask you to do anything, you were actually doing a lot. I mean, I was doing you a were lot, taking but care like, we, also, we were not watching television. Oh, okay. Yeah. We yeah. Were not, you can't like, ask me to dinner. play. We yeah. can't yeah. like hang out. Yeah. We didn't, we barely spoke. We're not dating. Yeah. We're not dating. Yeah. And I was writing the book in the living room. And yeah. so not only that, he wasn't allowed to look at me or or like <laughs> actually speak to me. <laughs> wow. He's such a great guy. He would just sort of tiptoe <laughs> up the stairs and let me be. And when I work, I, I talk to myself a lot. Oh, wow. It's a big part of my thing is Process, talking out loud. Yeah. And he just... You know, that's how you know you have a good marriage where you yeah. can just sit there and talk to yourself in your underwear. It was very hot. In my memory of this time, it was always very, very hot. So I was like, sitting in my underwear at my desk in the living room, talking to myself and drinking wine and eating And someone bunnies. was like, cheddar you know? bunnies. Oh, wow. Yes. What has seen? It's also just so funny to hear about other people's book writing processes. Yeah. Like it's yeah. so. It's, I, yeah, it always sucks. The right? discipline like, <laughs> is, yeah, enormous. But I feel like you're also very good at giving people the insight into how much you think it sucks on your Instagram. You <laughs> yeah. do a very I, good yes, job yeah. of being I, like, here's yeah. here are all the things I'm doing when yeah. I'm like yeah. not, exactly. when I'm trying not to work. Well, right. I think that, you know, I think it's better to be candid about that stuff. Yeah. I don't think yes. you should romanticize. Like it is work. And yeah. I, I got into trouble on the internet like two weeks ago because I said I don't believe in writer's block, which I don't. Mm -hmm. um, I think you have to face your work. You have to do yeah. your work. You just power through and, and put out you, something real shitty and then work on that you thing. You kind of do, right? Yeah, I, mean, there's I, I no, agree with that. There's no, it's not like, there's no divine intervention involved right. no, in the work that I right. do. Yeah, so, it's just you know, hard. You, sit, you show up and you punch it out and I knew I had yeah. 14 weeks and I wrote a draft of this book and so with my second book I had money and time and it was a yeah. it was a different process mm -hmm. but i still had to go every day and sit at my computer and, well and you know some you days know. what you put out is going to be really really shitty and you're going to have yeah. to completely redo it or Absolutely. yeah but but it's you're a start work you're, it's a start yeah. yeah i mean the sad and terrible truth is that for me nothing actually begins until i have those 300 pages done yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and like i truly i will i will stop at like a page page 100 and print it out and look at it over and over again but really the work doesn't start until the book is done and then i realize how undone it actually uh -huh. is uh -huh. You know. uh, what do you start seeing after 300 pages that you don't see otherwise? Uh, the, the problems in continuity or timeline uh. or, you know, the arc, the overall shape of the story. And I'm I'm still not really adept at shaping a story. And so my editor or my agent, usually my agent will say, OK, this is how you have to fix this. Or um, on the on the book that just came out, That Kind of Mother, um, when I turned it into my agent in December, she read it and she said to me, OK, this is great. However, what happens on like the book has to begin on page 120. Wow. So I had to cut the first 120 pages of the book and sort of move the entire structure up and write all this new material. But I did it because that's what you have to do. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you yeah, 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 yeah. You got to um, just close your eyes and yeah, get rid of it and yeah, move on. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's a mercenary process, but there's no other. It is hard work and sort of pretending that it's not hard work doesn't help me, you know? Yeah. No. Yeah, 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 so. yeah, yeah.
So tell us about That Kind of Mother. That Kind of Mother is a book about a poet named Rebecca Stone. It takes place between 1985 and 1999. And it follows her from the birth of her first child and sort of covers the relationship that she has with the woman who becomes her nanny. Her nanny is black. Rebecca is white. It's very common, as is a very common power dynamic mm-hmm, yeah. in many households. The nanny, uh, whose name is Priscilla, dies unexpectedly in childbirth. And Rebecca somewhat impulsively decides to adopt the baby. Hmm. And so it's sort of about a woman who has one black son and one white son. But it's really rigorously focused on Rebecca and her development as an artist and the kinds of the particular dynamics of choosing art over parenthood or vice versa, Mm -hmm. Um, and and, uh, an awakening that I think we are finally getting to in this culture now, many years after the book takes place, around how we talk about race and how we talk about power and how we talk about feminism and all of those things. Why did you decide to uh, make it take place during that very particular time period? It's a cheat. (laughs) It's a cheat because um, I know how the story ends and Mm -hmm. you know how the story ends. Mm -hmm. So when in the book they go to Windows on the World, Mm -hmm. You understand that two years after that, yep. a plane is going to hit the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I talk about Bill Cosby as a role model for African-American mm. youth, you understand yep. that he is a sociopath and a rapist. So there's this uh, historic, the historical irony there lets the reader understand, I think, what the book is actually intending to critique without mm. me having to actively spell everything out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. That's super interesting. Um Whenever I have told anybody about the plot of the book, there's been nobody who's been like, oh, I don't know if that's for me. Everybody's <laughs> like, this is so fascinating. How did you land on this plot? Um, gosh, I wish I knew because then I could make it happen again for the book yeah. I'm writing now. Um, <laughs> I, I think that the metaphor I use is, um, and I, this may be an incorrect metaphor because I don't actually know natural history, but is it t- t- a tumbleweed <laughs> okay. that mm, like yeah. a sort of one idea yeah. sort of spins around yeah. and mm-hmm. collects all of these other ideas and mm-hmm. then you have some particular thing that you can hold on to. And it began with wanting to write about a poet. She is a poet in the book. I don't actually know anything about poetry, hilariously, or <laughs> obviously, depending on if you've read the book <laughs> and you have strong feelings about poetry. But I wanted to animate the particular challenge that a lot of my peers who are mothers and who are mostly writers have faced about sort of trying to decide if you can do both, which I I believe you can, but I do think there is a reckoning. And so the book sort of wanted, I wanted to talk about that. Um, But I'm not sure I understood the degree to which the book was about race Mm -hmm. until I was in it. Mm. And uh, and it was only only when I read the book for like the 45th time, because you have to read your book a lot when you're publishing one, that I understood that the book was actually very similar in some ways to my first book, because it is about the relationship between Between two two women. women. Mm -hmm. And the particular power dynamics that are always involved in Mm -hmm. relationships. And um, this is such fertile territory for so many people right now. And why that is is a bigger question. But um, a lot, yeah, I mean, I think it's just that we define family much differently than was then it was defined maybe just even when our parents were young. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we can talk about our friends or our colleagues or, you know, other people who there's no real noun for as part Mm -hmm. of our family. And this is what the book is trying to talk about is the ways in which a nanny, a childcare provider is Mm -hmm. 
family. It's family. Which has become so much more a part of the conversation lately in general with um, like people talking about why doesn't anybody put their nanny on social media? And then the book, The Perfect Nanny. And I feel like in general, there has been so much more consideration about what that role is and what that means for people's families. I think you're right. And I think... um, also, um, you guys must know call your girlfriend. Of course. Right. Yeah. Like so that particular intimacy mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is very real. Yeah. And there is I mean, there is a noun for that, like girlfriend. Yeah. But that doesn't quite cover yeah. what that relationship is. hundred percent. Right. I mean, you we're know. writing a book um called <laughs> Work Wife. <Good> luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let me warn you now. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, we're, we're, we're in the thick we're of it. Deep in it. <laughs> Erica Erica referred it. Uh, referred to it the other day uh, to someone as our first book, and I gave her the like <laughs> dagger stare. eyes. I was like, and Death last, like, this stare. implies that we would ever go through this again. <laughs> Me being just so optimistic. Yeah. There. Um, but it's called work wife, uh-huh. and because we think we don't have a, there's no good term for what yeah. we right. have. I mean, yeah. we're right. like friends and we're business partners, but both of those things don't. And like, who says best? Like best friends right. is yeah. such a specific. Yeah, it's young, young. but yeah. very young. And it, but it does get to that idea that there is something so um, unique to women's relationships and so intimate that for us has totally shifted how our approach to business because it's so rooted in our friendship right. and it's so rooted right. in how we relate to one another. Yeah, um, and that can't help but seep into our business life. And, and you happen to be alive at a time when you could turn that into a business. Yeah, right? 100%. So the, my book, I think, talks a, in, in many ways what Priscilla and Rebecca have in this sort of nanny-employer relationship is what I imagine um, a grandmother and a you know granddaughter might have had you know three generations ago mm-hmm. that you turn to this person for the real story of what you're about to go through when you have a baby, mm-hmm. for example. Yeah. Like something yeah, yeah. that men can't know about, something that the, that the sort of intellectual culture has not valued enough to write down. Mm-hmm. Right, so right, something right. something that sort of transpires between women. And the metaphor or the analogy I've been using is that um, when you get your period, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, yeah, your yeah, friend's yeah. big sister yeah. is like, let me tell you what's going to yeah. happen. Yes. You know, because yeah. your mom doesn't want to tell you. Yeah. And, like, your teachers right. tell you one version of things. But yeah. like, there's this intelligence that is passed between women specifically. I mean, maybe between men, but no man has ever, no man has ever told me anything of interest. So, <laughs> you know, I, I feel like it's not. I mean, baseball statistics, maybe. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but I love, just love the story you just told about women and their periods, because I think it hits on something that you do so well, which is just understand women and be able to write women oh, thank you. Yeah, tremendously thank well. You. Um, and you are a man. Yeah. Um, and this, <laughs> it's true. This is, um, this I think is like a really profound experience in reading your writing. Um, thank you. Thank you. And I think I, I was talking to, uh, to a friend the other day who had read Rich and Pretty and who didn't know you were a man mm. having read it. And then afterward, like was told that, you know, I was like, oh yeah, have you read this story that he wrote? And was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> totally oh, blown away um, right by it. You. How and why do you think you've been able to accomplish that? Well, I think, first of all, I should, I think I should point out that I probably get graded on a curve because I am a man. Mm-hmm. Right? I think like in some a, cases, you know, sure. I but think a lot of men don't even bother to investigate or there's a presumption that men aren't interested in this territory. And yeah. I don't I don't think that's wholly true. Yeah. And I, I always feel like I should point out that um, Jonathan Franzen, for example, yeah. mm-hmm. like this sort of like the, the rhetorical prop we always use when we have these conversations, the beginning of freedom... Mm-hmm. Which is a book that, uh, to me, kind of ends up being really racist and weird. But the beginning of freedom is <laughs> if we astonishing. just look at the beginning, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if you just like read the first hundred and forty pages, yeah. it's an astonishing portrait of a woman, a really complicated yeah. and quite messed up woman mm-hmm. who is an athlete, also, which is a, mm-hmm. sort of an unusual mm-hmm. aspect yeah. of that mm-hmm. femininity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
it's so so beautifully done and um i do think that it's discussed more with me i mean i i should amend that statement so it doesn't sound like i'm comparing myself to jonathan Franzen, <laughs> but i think the reason that people want to have this conversation about my first book and my second book is that i'm interested in sort of bodily femininity mm. and all of these things that mm-hmm. um men can't really know yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah that's right you know and part of that is just my own challenge to myself that if you're yeah. going to write about life on mars you should write about what the toilet paper looks like do you know what i mean right. like yeah. that right. you should right. really right. think in a you it's know, just not it's yeah. not just like getting in the headspace it's yeah. like the physicality yeah. of it yeah and like um and and push because i think i i knew that with this book in particular, more than the first book, the, getting the biology right uh-huh. was a really important part of convincing readers, most of whom mm-hmm. are women in this culture, that I had um, a stance mm-hmm. in this, that I was going to try it. And, you know, it's not for me to say whether it's successful or not. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's a variety. There's no monolithic experience it's of for childbirth. All the good reviews you know, say. well, yeah. thank you. But, you know, <laughs> so I just tried to sort of inhabit what it is like to give birth. The book opens with her giving birth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to think about the sort of the sitcom ways in which people yeah. give birth in the mm, cultural mm-hmm. imagination versus the sort of bloody, shitty reality yeah. of yeah, how yeah, yeah, our yeah. friends give birth. And yeah. like these are stories that people love to tell you. Right. Yeah. If you I mean, literal strangers would tell me the most intimate stories because in a way the culture doesn't really value this narrative, yeah. I think that's mm-hmm. sort of changing, or, or I, I don't know why that is. I no, I think that that's right. Is. But yeah. you do. I mean, you describe like the experience and the pain of birth, yeah. and like the feeling of yeah. fire, and like right. these things that you know are about the experience of being a woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was important to try and get that right. And so it's really gratifying to me when people read the book on a Kindle and they don't see my photograph on the back jacket, <laughs> yeah. and they don't understand. Yeah. And I have this like weird gender neutral name, yeah, and yeah. so totally. people yeah. just can't really tell. And I do love that. Um, yeah, it makes me very happy. Can you tell us a little bit about Rich and Pretty, just because I think people sure, should read that for sure, too. Sure. Um, <laughs> Rich and Pretty is the story of the friendship between two women who meet at a Tony private school in New York City when they are 11, I think. 11 or 12, I can't remember. Uh, I've buried all the memories of writing that book. <laughs> and it follows the the trajectory of their trajectory of their relationship through, I think, age 32, but then maybe it skips ahead to 35 and looks at what it, it's not interested in the big moments of the yeah. life although it does revolve around a wedding but it's much more interested in the ways in which they are best friends but also that they're just sort of habituated to their friendship yeah mm-hmm. and so because the friendship is so so much a force of habit it's hard for them to even tell if there's still any affection yeah buried yeah. in that That's That's definitely very, sort of like you know yeah. yeah it's a very familiar feeling i said so many people you're like if i met you i, if I, I met you today yeah if right. i met you today would right. we still be friends right. yeah and things really change you know you can make different choices and then you realize that you have different values and you still may value a friendship yeah but be sort of appalled by someone who doesn't value the I mean, things that you now really right. hold near and dear. And yeah. in the context of that book, it's really about sort of like convention yeah. versus unconventional lives. And yeah. I think that there's, I mean, it's not even that unconventional in the contemporary context, but the idea that, you know, you should aspire to marry a certain kind of man and yep. settle down and buy a yeah. house and, and live a certain kind of life. And not everyone values that in the same way. And one of them is rich and one of them is pretty as like right. a kind of defining or the thing that other people would notice from that about them on the outside. And my interest in that was, um, oh, I'm glad I, I've never talked about this, but I'm glad I'm able to know. <laughs> um, my interest in that is that those are 
external terms applied to them by men, right? Uh-huh. So that they're uh-huh. the ways in which their identity is defined by the judgments mm-hmm. of other people, especially yeah. and like of the society, men, yeah. right? Yeah. And so uh, Sarah, who is rich, is just rich by accident of birth. She's yeah. rich by dint of who her father is. Yeah. And Laura Lauren, who is beautiful, is pretty just for no reason. I mean, right. no one yeah. is pretty yeah, yeah, for yeah, a reason. Yeah. Yeah. And those do define them and they define a lot of people and that is sort of a way in which women are kind of trapped and Mm -hmm. looking at them through that particular trap I mean I think that book I'm I'm proud of that book but there is a there's a trick in that title Mm -hmm. and um I respect a reader who is like fuck it I'm not going to read a book that's this judgmental in (laughs) its title but you know I think you have to understand that the title comes from something high school boys have said yeah 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 that's right that's right that's right we um, one of the sort of most memorable or shocking mm, moments in mm. the history of our business partnership was when someone in a meeting with us jokingly. No, he wasn't. I, I he mean, wasn't even really he was, joking. He wasn't Claire, joking, but it was yeah. like he was like, oh, I get it. You're the smart one and you're the pretty one. Wow. It was As adult wow. people. Yeah. Adult wow. people. And I truly don't know wow. which one of us was yeah, supposed was to be more say. offended. I, yeah. I was like, like it's, I don't it's even so know, offensive like, to both people. But which one is which Thank one is the yeah. smart yeah. one? Yeah. Thank you. I mean, it's just yeah. um since apologized. He he did like and it like long long enough after the fact that it was clear that he knew how awful it was that yeah. it had been weighing on him. Wow. I don't think you can really ever forgive yeah. someone fully. Yeah. There's, no, there's no coming back from that. Right. No, it's like you can forgive but you can't forget because oh, yeah, it's like yeah, that's yeah, why yeah. yes you can just at least yeah. like be like I'm glad you were thinking about it still too right. yeah wow that <laughs> is yeah. intense it was yeah. pretty terrible really foul um, <laughs> really, yeah can you tell us a little bit about your job now because special yes. projects editor what a good oh, title yeah, it New is a York title. Times what a place <laughs> yeah. I don't have a great handle on what it actually means what do you but, do uh, yeah that's a great question um, so I am the special projects editor at the New York Times Books Desk. The yeah. Books Desk encompasses the New York Times Book Review, which is mm-hmm. a standalone yeah. publication yeah. Um, that comes out every Sunday, and it's the arbiter of the books in the culture, mm-hmm. and also encompasses the work of the features editors who do all of the book coverage that appears in the art section of the Times. And those folks are all very busy producing that weekly section and producing mm-hmm. the sort of like, just sort of, you know, pumping the coal into the chimney or whatever the metaphor is. And (laughs) they have, over the years, of course, had many ideas about, we should do this, we should do this, we should do this online, we should have this kind of event. And they haven't had a body to execute that. So I think I see myself as someone who is there to say, okay, what's the best idea? What's the hottest idea? Like, let's do that. Let's shepherd that through. And make that actually happen. And it's a great job. The New York Times is an amazing institution. It's a vast institution. Mm-hmm, there yeah. are like a million people working there. I don't know what anyone does and I don't know where anything is. Um, <laughs> I do not have uh, any office supplies. Like I literally don't know where the pens are. I'm using a pencil that my older son gave me. Um, today, and just today I went to Muji and I bought a notebook because I was like, I should probably just get some paper. Um, but it seemed easier to buy it yourself than yeah, to ask yes, someone where yes. you find it. But it's great. It's a great job and... Um, I tweeted about wanting a job for like a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And then this job came across my radar and I'm so lucky that I got it. And um, so the first big project that I've done for them is I'm doing a newsletter. I think you guys probably know that newsletters are like a big, More pretty big, big, yeah. 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 big way of getting yeah. things done now. And so I'm doing a newsletter and allowed to. And, and I have to say that um, for an institution that is as serious and um, 
thoughtful as yeah. the New York Times and especially as the book's desk yeah. is. Yeah. They have let me really just like last in my newsletter last week I did a text I did an interview with John Grisham via text message. Oh and my I god. That. And it was like great. Like because the Times I haven't came, signed up for this newsletter. I know I have to sign the same right thing. Now. I love all the Times yeah. newsletters. The watching one I mean, is so, so good. Margaret Ly- so Lyons I love so much. Yeah. The gender newsletter is great. They're all really good and you know you have a little bit of freedom mm-hmm. in to that have platform, some fun. to yeah. have yeah. some fun. And because it's the New York Times you can get anyone to do anything. Yeah, like, no, I mean, no one's no one's like, actually yeah. I'm too busy. I right? was like, oh, I want John Grisham to text me and his public his team of publicists <laughs> conferred about it and they were like, sure, no problem. Like here he, here's his phone number. Like text wow. him at seven PM and I was like, Great. Oh, it's so you know? good. And so I'm having a lot of fun and trying to Yeah, trying to change the way that we cover our books and sort of how do you think the way that you cover that books are covered needs to change? I think that we I think we are seeing a cultural shift from um, I think that younger readers, readers younger than yeah. us mm-hmm. in this room, are less interested in criticism and yeah. more interested in enthusiasm. Hmm. And I think that with you. I think we, we have totally to sort of talk yeah. to them in a way that is uh, a little bit service mm-hmm. and where the critical perspective, the institutional perspective comes in is sort of choosing what we're talking about mm-hmm. to say like it's more these like are the, the curation books. or the discovery exactly. or like exactly. here's what we're surfacing yeah. Here. Yeah. yeah and um i think that that is and again because the times has such authority and mm-hmm. we can do we can do that and i think we're starting to see that reflected and i think i'm not the only editor who feels that way yeah and um yeah, I tweet a lot for the New York Times. <laughs> I did a story yesterday when Philip Roth died. I did a story. It was not my idea. It was one of the other editors on the desk. So other editors think this way um, about, the, you know, the Twitter reactions to mm-hmm. Philip Roth's death. Yeah. And it was just like a simple, like, let's just aggregate what people are saying, like what's yep. sincere, what's yeah. sweet yeah. and what's like kind of bitchy. Yeah. And like, let's just say like, these are the All reactions. Twitter. Yeah. All range of Twitter. Twitter. Exactly. Yeah. And um, so that's the kind of thing where I think the editors have that instinct, but not the bandwidth. And so right. I'm there to kind of pitch in on that. Um, what are you reading that you're enthusiastic about or what have you read? Okay. Well, I just read one of the, maybe the perfect novel, maybe the oh best God. book I've ever read. It's definitely in my top 10. Wow. Called The Transit of Venus by Shirley Hazard. It is an I don't ast- even know uh, this yeah. book. It is an astonishing book. Wow. The Transit of Venus, it is a story about these two sisters who are orphaned they're they're a little bit older they're orphaned they're australian and they go and they go to live with their half sister okay and then they end up in london uh sort of attached to the family of the man that one of them is about to marry and they cross paths with this uh scientist it all sounds very complicated but it's really gracefully done it takes place in contemporary it takes times? place in post-war london so okay. in the 19 19- well, yeah, from like the 1950s through the 1980s. Okay. And these women are very headstrong. There there are a lot of echoes of, in their sort of sisterly relationship, to me there were a lot of echoes of Howard's End. Mm. Sort of independent, mm-hmm. headstrong yeah. women. And in the gen- the sort of genteel milieu reminded me a lot of Henry James. Mm-hmm. Shirley Hazard can write, she just can write rings around anybody. I mean, mm-hmm. she's a fucking genius. This book is an astonishing so the book I cannot spoil it for you because there's such a reward in the book but it is so masterfully done and the plot hinges on these very subtle things that you realize as you read the book and then when the book concludes you realize that you have a totally different opinion of everything that you have just read 
Wow. And it has one of the most heartbreaking endings of any book I've ever read. I uh, almost couldn't well, you're out, Yeah, I know. I'm yeah. like tapping out, tapping out. I don't do sadness. I'll read it. I'll read it. I'll read it. it is, but you it did is. such a strong sell that I'm like, I don't know. Am I going to read something sad like is, on my uh, own volition? It is a great, great book. And it's a, it's a book. What I love about it the most is that it is a book. It is a book that seems very... Uh, feminine, right? Yeah. So it's a book about mm-hmm. sisters and yeah. about their romances mm-hmm. and their struggles in the world. But informing all of that, she is really writing about the scars, the psychic scars of the two world wars. Mm. Everything that happens to these wow. women is sort of because of the forces of history. It is an amazing, amazing book. Wow. I know what I'm doing with my work. Yes, I highly, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. Amazing. Yeah. Anything um, else? Uh, yeah, just just that know. one life changing book. Huh? I know. <laughs> Anything that doesn't have a heartbreaking ending. Uh, asking for a friend. Something light. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you read Stephen Florida by no. Gabe Habish? Stephen Florida no. is a very interesting book about a college wrestler who is working towards the. Uh, I'm going to get it wrong. They're like the regional championship. Yeah, it's sure. fine. Sectional, it all means the same sectional thing. regional, yeah, state, Eastern so, so, you know, conference. Whatever. Yeah. And it is a very very odd. And but ultimately very sweet book. Like huh. the book has this very odd voice, and the protagonist Stephen Florida is quite insane. Huh. And the book sort of tiptoes between, you know, it sort of walks the line between the surreal and the real. It's very bodily. It's very weird, hmm. but it is very sweet in the in the end. And um, it's a book that a lot of people may feel like it's too weird. Mm-hmm. But if you give it. If you give it time, I yeah. think it sort of its charms really work on you. Um, that's and that's the only book by a man I've read in a long time. I, I'm reading a book by a man now. I'm reading a book called High Dive by Jonathan Lee, and um, I realized when I was I, reading I, it, I, that's on my list. It's a good book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's a lovely book actually. It's about a, a terrorist, the planned terrorist bombing. Yeah, sounds uh, lovely. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> lighthearted, like light. <laughs> a lighthearted yeah. book about terrorism. Um, <laughs> but I am very interested in books that are like that, that sort of mm-hmm. find because it's actually about sort of a father and daughter in this hotel. In, yes, in right, Brighton, right, right. And I'm interested in books that are very human, mm-hmm. but sort of carry this deeper political this meaning weight, and yeah. I think a lot of I think a lot of women and this is not I mean this is like a, such a generalization but a lot of women have a lot of my favorite writers who mostly are women have written these very intimate stories and have been thought of as people who write intimate stories mm-hmm. but those intimate stories like Alice Monroe's mm-hmm. tend to carry a lot about history and mm-hmm. about society and are not necessarily talked about that way that felt right. like a big part of asymmetry success to me but well so I'm curious to know mm-hmm. from you whether you felt like Lisa Halliday felt like she had to address that in order for the book to be taken seriously. Wow, because, I hadn't considered that. Because I, because she is, I, I thought that was a lovely book mm-hmm. and she's a remarkable writer. She mm-hmm. can write such beautiful mm-hmm. sentences. But I wondered why it was that she needed to give a love story, a coming of age story, mm-hmm. this counterpoint mm-hmm. that is really rooted in, you know, global terrorism. Mm-hmm. Um, whether she felt a pressure to do that in order to be to make it serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I really did not consider that. Um, And she may not have. I mean, that may have been the book that she wanted to write. And But the book has been talked about very seriously. Yeah. And I wonder often if it's not because that sort of pulls it in that direction, which is unfair because it is a great book. Yeah, and it could have been either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's super interesting. You used to have your feet really in the design world. I did. How do you yeah. scratch that itch now? Uh, by spending a lot of money on shoes. Perfect. Honestly. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, unfortunately, I feel like the the sort of language and the sort of uh, the sort of conversation around design is is really uh, 
from an editorial perspective, not as feels really yeah. lacking to me yeah. right mm-hmm. now. And I don't. I, I think that there is a weird like the tyranny of Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Has sort yeah, of I created. Right. I, I mean, the, w- society has always sort of functioned that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like that we're not really interested in iconoclasts. Yeah. Like when Tom Wolfe died, I was like, I, I cannot stand Tom Wolfe's writing, but yeah. I appreciate someone who is just a you know. I'm a weird dandy and yeah. I'm going to yeah, wear yeah. this white suit and <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, going to be yeah. my thing. Yeah. And I love yeah. that. And I feel like that is a dying yeah. breed. Mm-hmm. And interior, de- you really see that in interior design. And some, I, I think it was Emily Gould had tweeted this thing that was so fucking funny about um, Insta- like dollhouse Instagram. A uh, dollhouse Airbnbs. It was dollhouse Airbnbs. Oh Do you know what I'm God, talking no. about? She, oh God, the levels of this. I think she had found an Etsy seller who makes like hipster furniture for like a dollhouse Dollhouse. with this sort of like weird that weird international Ikea Airbnb aesthetic Japanese Swedish vibes pink Mm -hmm. wood cacti and Mm -hmm. it was just like so fucking spot on and um, I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of my house we published pictures of our house you have an amazing house thank you but I'm like really interested in like more personal expressions mm-hmm. of design, yeah, which yeah. is mm-hmm. harder and harder. Yeah, I mean, that's what yeah. you guys do for a living, right? Yeah, 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 You're yeah. selling personal expressions of design that don't right. necessarily fit into right. what Hopefully. they're doing at Barney's yeah. or what they're mm-hmm. doing yeah. at, you know? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and I, I appreciate, like, a lot of high-end design, yeah. but, like, I just, there's something, there's sort of, like, an idiosyncrasy void, void. right yeah. now, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know? Yeah. And everything just starts looking so the same. Did you read the Kyle Chaka piece on the Airbnbification of interior design? Yes, and he is a he's a very astute critic, and he really yes. understands the ways in which that has happened. Yes. And it's a bummer. And, it, you know, and frankly, it happens in books, too. I think mm-hmm. that, like, we... Um, my book happens to be coming out around the time a lot of people are publishing books about motherhood and maternity, mm-hmm. and um, trends are always a part of the culture and right. they yeah. always yeah, reflect yeah, yeah. something else in the culture. Yeah. And so they're, yeah. they're valid. They're not invalid. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would argue that when you talk about tr- motherhood as a trend, yeah. there's a very... there's, <laughs> there's dangerous. A, Long pause. Well, yeah. so there's a very gendered way of talking about trend. So mm-hmm. basically to talk about motherhood as a trend is a way of keeping women out of the canon or the serious literary huh. conversation. Yeah. Because uh, 50 years ago dozens of men who are now considered classic writers published books about the, their experience in the Second World War or the Korean War. Yeah. And that was not a trend. a trend. I mean, that is a trend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it that wasn't is treated sort of our as a trend. canonical yeah. literature, yeah. you know. Yeah. So if if if, uh, if books about men and their waning libido in their 60s trying to fuck their secretaries <laughs> are not a trend, <laughs> yeah. why should books about yeah. having children yeah. be considered a trend, you know? Yeah. It's fucked up. It is. <laughs> You are, you are so amazing. Thank you so oh, thank much you. for coming what on. What a pleasure. Oh thank my you God. So much. This was just it was wonderful, wonderful joyous. Um, that is the show. You can listen to us wherever podcasts are found, like Stitcher, iTunes, leave us a review, and now Spotify. Follow us at Of A Kind on Instagram and Twitter. Like our Facebook. If you have ideas or requests, email us at a few things at ofakind.com. If you want to advertise, that's advertising at ofakind.com. Our intro music, Butterfield East, is written and performed by the Soulful Saints. Our audio editing is by Liz Smith, and we record at Showbird Studios in the East Village, a.k.a. Alex's house.
So many of you guys write in and ask about our theme song. It is called Butterfield East, and it is composed and performed by the Soulful Saints. You can check them out over at DallaRecords.com. That was a HeadGum Podcast.